These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. In Spring Branch, we speak more than 145 different languages, and that diversity translates into a thriving economy. Our district's a melting pot. It's a great place to find the staff you need. Spring Branch is working for business. Yours. Find out more at spmd.org. Hi, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, real estate reporter at the Houston Chronicle. I wouldn't call myself a connoisseur of text messages, but there is a very special genre of text that I only get from one person. These texts are brief and utterly reasonable, but they cause a disproportionate amount of... Ah! I'll read a recent sampling of these messages and maybe you'll understand why. They include... Have you fixed your tire? Have you gotten your inspection? And just mailed you a W-2. Don't want to hold up your taxes. The person sending these messages is my dad. My reaction is because I know he's reasonable and right. The combination of those two things and the fact that I have not done them makes me feel like I am not a real person. So the reason I'm telling this whole story is because today's podcast is about one of the texts he has sent me. To walk me through the story, I've decided to give him a call. Hi, Dad. Hello, Rebecca. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Aside from sitting in doctor waiting rooms and being poked and prodded. Oh, yeah. That sounds terrible. uh, So I'm calling you because do you remember when you told me I should look into a refinance? Yeah. He was recommending looking into refinancing because rates are at record lows. Just maybe two years ago, they were at 5%. And now they're in the mid 2%. So by getting a refinance, I could lower my monthly payments. I put it off because it seems like simple math. And I love math, guys. I was actually a high school math teacher for two years. But it's not. When I bought my home, I made a spreadsheet of the people I spoke to and the rates they quoted me and all the fees they mentioned. And each person seemed to have fees that others hadn't mentioned and go back. And they would start tossing out all these services I need to pay for. And it just sort of broke my brain. It reminded me of um, shopping for electricity here in Texas, which is also brain-breaking because, because everyone seems to be charging for different things, you know? Like, we'll charge this price for this many kilowatt hours and this price after that. Two days a month, we'll give you free. And at a certain point, I get lost in a maze of funhouse mirrors. And I just feel like I can't make heads from tails. Going back to mortgages... When I bought my home, and even after I chose a lender, when it came time to close and they showed me how much the mortgage would cost, I was surprised. It all added up to much more than I expected. So not only did refinancing seem confusing, also it involves thousands of dollars in fees. The stakes seem high, which stresses me out. And so I put it off and I put it off until this week. (laughs) So I finally did. And it was a little bit like being poked and prodded about my future and my expenses. I'm calling you because I wanted to report back and tell you what all happened and get your feedback. Okay. So the first person I talked to, because I talked to a few people, was providing some background about why rates are low. Rates have hit all-time lows more than a dozen times in the past year, 
and I called Frank Nothaft, chief economist for the financial services company CoreLogic, which tracks mortgages and how they're performing, to understand why. Thank you again for being open to speak with me. Like I said, I'm going through a refinance. What, what makes rates go up or down generally? Well, what's really driving it is long-term interest rates. And in particular, it's the Federal Reserve monetary policy. As you know, the Fed had cut uh, short-term interest rates basically to zero uh, way back in March when the pandemic recession hit. Uh, in addition, the Fed took uh, additional steps to put downward pressure on long-term interest rates through what they call the quantitative easing which basically is the Fed's policy of going into the capital markets and just buying up boatloads of uh, treasury notes and bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Yeah. And it's worth saying here that the Fed is not the only one buying treasury notes and mortgage-backed securities. The investments are seen as low risk. So if other investments suddenly look riskier because of economic uncertainty, such as an unpredictable pandemic, some investors may want to park their money in the low-risk but low-yield notes and securities until they can better understand where the market is going. And when you have an investor with deep pockets that steps into the marketplace and buys up boatloads of these securities, it pushes up the price, which means it pushes down the yield or the interest rate. And that's what's led to mortgage interest rates moving down over the course of the last year to another record low. So this is a direct response to the government pouring money into the economy right now. They want mortgage rates to be low. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this has helped homeowners through refinances, real estate agents, title companies, all the people adjacent to like a real estate transaction through new home purchases. I think it's given room for home prices to continue growing even during a recession. Any other impacts that we're missing? Those are a lot of the main impacts. Um, I want to pick up on what you said on home prices. On March 13th, when the national emergency was declared for the pandemic, you know, we were quite concerned that what would ultimately happen is a lot of weakness and even declines in home prices in many markets around the U.S. Well, that hasn't materialized. Thanks in part to the record low mortgage rates really sparking this rebound in housing activity. Now, home prices are rising at a really rapid clip. That drop in mortgage interest rates really makes a big deal. So the recession and the response by the government and other investors is responsible for the lowest mortgage rates since the government began backing 30-year mortgages during the Great Depression. How does one set about taking advantage of said rates? I asked Tom Rhodes, chief executive of Sente Mortgage, based in Austin, for advice. First, he gave me an overview of the types of lenders. Yeah, so I'm going to put it into four categories. So the first is a classic bank. Okay, a bank offers many financial services, and one of them is a mortgage. But sometimes they get knocked because... Responsiveness to the customer. The second type of lender is an independent mortgage lender. This company, like Sente Mortgage, only deals in mortgages, which they typically originate and sell off to an investor, such as a bank. Next to that, you're going to have the independent mortgage lender. That's typically where you're going to have a more specialized individual to work with. Uh, it's going to be a bit more about hand-holding and having conversation. Then there's a model that's similar but online. Think Quicken or Rocket Mortgage. You go through the webpage, fill out a form, and then talk to a loan officer. Finally, there are online marketplaces such as LendingTree, which have the premise that they're going to allow you to compare lenders. They'll take your information and give it to a bunch of lenders who will all compete for your business. 
I think I did that once through Costco and then had like five people call me. Their business is saying, basically, they're selling your lead. Yeah. So four business models with four types of customer experiences, broadly speaking. And Tom, whose business falls in the second category, recommends picking the type of customer experience you prefer, talking to maybe two loan officers to get a feel, and going with the one you trust the best for guidance. Because things are about to get complicated. And there is this cocktail party phenomenon, which is there are folks that want to be able to say, I got 2.99. But that that's a real thing. Like there's a badge of honor and there is a phenomenon of folks that will pay a lot of money to get a lower rate. Okay. Yep. So you can pay more money to get a lower rate. That's called buying points. You can get mortgages with shorter terms, which means you have to pay off in less time, but at a lower interest. You can possibly stop paying mortgage insurance or qualify for a program that will help cover closing costs or repair your credit or get cash out. A good loan officer will guide you through all these options and get you the one that's best for you. But I still wanted to know how to avoid that feeling that made me put off refinancing for so long. It just seems to me like in the initial conversations, I actually don't have a great grasp of what the final cost will be. And, you know, is there something that I should be asking? Is that just the nature of the beast? So I think oftentimes people will generally hear about a rate, but they won't get a loan estimate. So a loan estimate can give you greater clarity. Okay. If it doesn't say loan estimate, it's not a loan estimate. And loan estimate has some regulatory requirements. Got it. Okay. So so I would just say for your comfort, you'd ask for a loan estimate. Then it's going to very specifically say, here are the fees that we charge. Do we charge an underwriting fee? Do we charge a processing fee? So you can look very specifically at the, the company charges. Armed with that information, I set out on my quest. First up, the loan officer my real estate agent recommended me. Stephanie Dvorak of U.S. Bank. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I had already sent her some information before we met. And right off the bat, she said it wasn't clear whether I should refinance. It's really questionable if it's worth it or not. So when you purchased, do you have mortgage insurance or did you put 20% down when you purchased? From there, she started asking a few follow-up questions. Private mortgage insurance is a monthly payment that's required for mortgages with a small down payment. It can sometimes be eliminated with refinance because any appreciation of your home's value, plus the amount you've already paid off, makes it as if you have a bigger down payment. To set the scene, I had a 3.5% interest rate on a 30-year mortgage from about two years ago. And right now I make payments of $200 extra a month to bring down my loan amount more quickly. I was figuring if, if a refinance allowed me to lower my required payments, I could keep paying the same amount, which would mean I'm paying more extra every month, which would let me bring down my loan even more quickly. And I thought that would help me also with financial flexibility. So if I ever lose my job or something else comes up, housing costs wouldn't be as big of a stressor. But interest rates weren't actually low enough to make my grand scheme a reality, Stephanie told me. So on a 30-year, for your scenario right now, we would actually be at three and one-eighth. That would save me $65 a month. It would take years for those savings to outweigh the thousands of dollars in refinance fees. Um, a 20-year, we would be at 3%. And to really get down to like two and a half, you would need to be on a 15-year with us. So that would actually increase my monthly payments by $350, which is not the worst because I'm already paying $200 extra a month 
but it wasn't exactly what I had been thinking of when embarking on all of this. Cool. Well, I'll ask around and see whether or not I can find anything that makes sense, but I appreciate your time. You bet. Well, good luck. I hope that you find something that does. I think if, if you can, if you can find someone that can offer you two and three quarters with low closing costs, I, that would make sense. It wasn't what I was hoping for, but I appreciated the honesty. After that, I had some time before my next call. So I decided to check out my bank, which is where I currently have my mortgage. I think I can do this online. Hold up a second. Going to their website. Um, okay. I'll just click apply now. You can also call or schedule an appointment. And last time I went through this, I had such a bad experience. I told someone at Bank of America later and they said I should have scheduled an appointment. But just to give you guys the experience, I'm going through the website. Because what is your goal? I want to refinance a home I already own. 15 minutes later, I was at the end of the web form. Saving continue. Oh. And at the end, it says, let's talk. Refinance transactions in Texas and New York require special assistance from our lending officers. I wonder why. Please give us a call at 866-436-2508. All right. I guess that's what I'll do. Thank you for calling Bank of America. This call may be monitored and or recorded. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with today? Hi, my name is Rebecca Schutz. I'm a client and I'm also a reporter at the Houston Chronicle. I was wondering if it's possible since I read about real estate to record this call as well. I'm looking into refinancing, but I also just wanted to like, we have a real estate podcast and wanted to let listeners sort of follow along with my mm. experience as I do it for myself personally. Um, you know, I don't they shot it down. Okay. So what she said was 2.625% interest rate for 30 years, which would be $100 off my principal plus interest a month. The closing cost would be almost $5,000. So it would take four to five years to break even. So my question to you. To me? Yeah. Is what do you think so far? Sounds about like factors I would expect to have to weigh. So the difference in the two rates really had me wondering what the next person would say. I mean, I knew it was going to be like several thousand dollars. Well, 5000 seems kind of high too to me. I don't know. Just offhand, but. Is that just fixed or is that like points or? So, um, so I'll get to that. Like at this point I was just like, wow, this rate is really low and this fee seems really high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to explain like lenders recommend comparing quotes on the same day because rates shift around every day. So that makes it easier to compare. It's also good because if you're letting places pull your credit, it'll only count as one credit pool if the places do it all like within a very close time frame, which will keep it from digging your credit. What I was warned against was, oh, I'm going to check rates this day. And then like three weeks later, you're like, well, let me call another place. A three weeks, the rates have moved. And also like that's going to count as two credit pulls. If you let them pull your credit, which if you're trying to get a good quote, might be a good thing to do, but not if you're just sort of casually shopping. But when I talk about like shopping around all on the same day, but that makes shopping kind of a task. And when I mentioned getting maybe four quotes, Tom told me that was a bad idea because it's such a time suck. Um, and I think that there's a balance between being a thoughtful consumer and destroying your life, you know, just in terms of the day. But by then it was too late. So here we go. So here's Christina Gobe of First United Mortgage Group, who had also been recommended to me. 
So basically, I am reviewing a 30-year, a 20-year, and a 15-year. Okay. And when I'm looking at the analysis, it's essentially saying if you did a 30-year, the rate would be about 3%. Typically, we want to see that you're getting more than half a percent eliminated from your mortgage or at least like $150 to $200 a month in savings. And when I did it, I mean, it looks like you're only going to save about 50 bucks a month. So it doesn't really make sense unless you were looking at wanting to actually pay it off sooner and then having an even lower rate. She pointed out something that I hadn't thought of, even though it's obvious, which is if someone has a $600,000 loan and lowers it by half a percentage point, They're going to save a lot more a month than someone with a $150,000 loan. So that makes it faster for them to make up the refinancing fees. So since my loan was so small and my original interest rate was decently low, even record low mortgage rates might not make sense for me. But she did make the case that a 15-year mortgage might be more of an option. So maybe the trick was to drop an entire percentage point in interest rates, which would up my monthly payment so I'd be done in 15 years. Awesome. Thanks so much. Of course. I will talk to you later. Confused, I explained my situation to Omar Enriquez at AMG Bank. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Staying busy in a very busy market. It's going a little bit confusing because what I'm doing right now, I'm less than two years into a 30-year mortgage. I have a rate of 3.5%. I'm like talking to just four different lenders to hear their thoughts on how I should go about this. One was like, oh, you shouldn't even refinance. It's not enough of a drop. Spoke with Bank of America, which (laughs) is not very responsive. They gave me a low quote, but I have a lot of questions. And then I spoke with someone a friend recommended. She she also agrees that I couldn't probably save a lot by going to another 30-year, but she was like, right now I'm already paying... $200 extra a month. And she was like, well, if you're just willing to fold that in, like maybe you should look at a 20 year or 15 year and could end up saving in terms of interest rates. So yeah, I guess I'm just curious to hear your thoughts, how you'd approach this. And I I would be interested in getting a quote, although I haven't sent you any information yet. So that's fine. It's actually nice that there's a real live scenario, right? Yours is a a common dilemma. He agreed with Christina that a shorter term might make the most sense, depending on the numbers. And he introduced an option I didn't even know existed. So a little bit about myself. So I'm a production manager for an affordable housing team. Okay. We we do, our focus is first-time home buyers and loans in low to moderate income or majority minority census tracts. Okay. Our team, for example, have you ever heard of the grant programs the city uses for first-time homebuyers? So we work a lot with that program. Mm-hmm. We also have a portfolio product at Amogee that is geared toward income or location, right? I'd love to tell you we're the only ones doing it. Every bank has to have some, right? Okay. We just do it through our product. So, for example, what I do is... And, and I'm happy to do this for you if you like. I can look at the address of your house on a federal website, right? And I'll look at the statistics. I'll look at the census tract and I'll look at the 
percentage of majority minority. And if it meets one of those criteria, along with your income, you may qualify for, if it's a primary residence, you could qualify for our affordable housing product that has no lender fees to it. So no processing, or re- no processing, underwriting or funding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if I qualify for this product, it means I don't have any loan origination fees. That seems crazy. Let me be really clear about this because I don't want to misguide at all. Yeah. Right? A purchase or refinance transaction is going to have different sets of fees to them, right? Yeah. You're going to have your loan origination fees, which are going to be assessed by a lender. A lender is going to have third-party fees like an appraisal or a credit report, you know, things that they have to pay their vendors, right, in order to do the loan. You'll have recording fees from a title company, right? In a refinance situation, it's pretty much the borrower's choosing. And then you may or may not have escrow funding fees if you're setting up a new escrow account, right? The part that in a situation like this that we can obviously the attractive thing that we can offer is like, we're not going to charge you any origination fees. And that's kind of a buzzword for our administrative fees. You're still going to pay third-party fees like a credit report and an appraisal and things like that because someone else is doing it for the bank. But as far as our administrative fees for it, we absorb that cost. And the reason you're doing that is because of the Community Reinvestment Act? Absolutely. And if I remember correctly, that's banks are required to serve minority communities to the same extent as... So banks are required to service all communities and not cherry-pick more affluent or yeah. more lucrative areas. They should be doing as many loans, you know, no matter the area. It shouldn't be exclusive to price tag, or okay. right? They should also be required by way of investment, whether it be a monetary contribution or just a reduction in their cost of doing business. Okay. And it turns out I qualified. So I asked him for a loan estimate. It was also at this time that I figured out what was going on with that Bank of America quote, which was confusing to me because the rate was so much lower than everyone else's, but the fee seemed high. I'm actually looking at this loan estimate and I'm actually seeing that they did charge me points, which they didn't sort of discuss on the phone when we were talking. So that's actually why the loan costs are so high. I had almost fallen into the cocktail party trap of paying more money for a lower rate or purchasing points. The cost of doing so, $1,489. So, Dad, I talked to these four people. I got four (laughs) quotes. And the quote I ended up getting from Amogee, because he was like, basically, you need to go online and fill out the application. And then he could send me a loan estimate. I let them check my credit score and stuff. Basically, they said for a 15-year mortgage, they could give me 2.25%. The monthly payments would be $340 more than what I'm already paying, which isn't too bad because I'm already paying $200 extra a month, right? So it would up my monthly payments. So I feel like I should just decide whether I should go with a 15-year and a higher payment, which would pay itself off in between two and a half and three years. And then I would start saving money in 2023 or 2024. (laughs) Or if I want to go for another 30-year mortgage in which my monthly payment would go down by $110 every month and I would make that money back in between 
three and four years, it seems like. So the option that would give me the most flexibility with moving would be not to refinance. The one that would give me the most flexibility in terms of a financial difficulty, the one that would give me most flexibility in terms of lowering the amount I'm required to pay every month would be the 30-year. And the one that would have me paid off the quickest would be the 15-year. It would not only have me pay it off the quickest, but I would also pay the least interest, right? The cost of the loan would be the lowest if I ended up finishing paying it. So... I'm sort of leaning towards the 15-year, but I'm a little bit nervous that that might stick me in a point where I'm paying too much every month and taxes are going to go up too, right? I've spoken with people who they refinance for a quicker term and then their taxes went up and they couldn't afford it and they had to refinance again to get out of that situation. What do you mean taxes? Property taxes. Property taxes? Yeah. Oh, because the house appraisal goes down? Yeah. Well, I mean, it really comes down to how tight are things. And I, don't know, I guess I'm going to have to cogitate on this a little bit. So it really comes down to, like you say, if you probably have the most flexibility just doing like what you're doing right now. And, you know, if you feel like to put more in or not. Yeah. Because if I up my payments, I can get it down almost to a 15 year. I, I, I guess I would be paying money in the, in the amount of interest I have in order to keep the flexibility. I have now. And then with with the 30-year mortgage, I would have even more flexibility, but I would be gambling on whether or not I'm leaving within three or four years, right? Mm-hmm. It's not an easy decision. No, it's not. It's a little bit easier if you have a little bit more, if you had a little bit more cushion. Like if work paid more? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would... Uh... I guess I would go for status quo and sleep on it for a while. Although, yeah, I don't think rates are going to get lower, but I guess I have at least the amogy rate locked in for a while. So I can decide until April, but I was hoping to decide this week before my podcast came out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also because I don't know, I don't think I have the bank of America one locked in. And I, I think Rates aren't going to get much better. Um, but thanks, Dad, for talking through this with me. Well, I don't know if I helped any, but. Uh... <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you ever want to send an idea for a podcast or just say hi, you can reach out on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at RA Shoots. That's R A S C H U E T Z. On our show notes, if you go to houstonchronicle.com slash looped in, we'll have links to our home buying guides. And if I make a decision by then, I'll also include what I've decided. But TBD. Special thanks to all of our guests, to Frank Nothaft, Tom Rhodes, Stephanie Dvorak, Vicky Bethany, Christina Gope, and Omar Enriquez. And a special thanks to my dad, both for reminding me to keep my head on and for taking the time to walk me through this decision. Thanks to our editors, Jonathan Diamond and Rob Gavin. Thanks to Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Komodos, for the theme music. And thanks to Scott Kingsley for editing and for suggesting this episode. Until next time.